What's the time, Naomi Wolf? What's the time? What's the time, Naomi Wolf? What's the time? One o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock. Oh, hi. Yeah, riffing on the old south side of Bombay, are we? Well, I haven't done one of these musical beginnings for quite a while, and given we're talking about Naomi Wolf again, I thought this might be appropriate. But it turns out the actual lyrics aren't that conducive to talking about conspiracy theories. Mm, unless Naomi Wolf is talking about time travel conspiracy theories. Mm, now you mention it, she did have that thing about nanoparticles. Uh, particles? No, particles. That and backups of we're literally traversing space-time envelopes to save files. That sounds confusing. Uh, plus, can we really use that to change the song? I mean, it's based on a nursery rhyme. Okay, well, we'll just have to go back even further before the advent of computer. But is that possible? I thought we could only travel within our own lifetimes. Oh, we've gone well beyond Quantum Leap here. No, we must use the nanoparticles to take us back to the very beginning of time. I, uh, feel like we might have lost our way. Somewhat. Indeed. So is Naomi Wolf. So, any other song suggestions? Uh, hungry like the wolf? Touch with the ground, I'm on the hunt, I'm after you. Smell like a sound, I'm lost in a crowd, and I'm hungry like Naomi Wolf. Uh, uh Wibbles of London. Oh, Naomi Wolves of London. And then there's the Motorhead classic, The Wolf. I'm not even going to try and do Lemmy. Well, then there's Will the Wolf Survive, Little Red Riding Hood, uh, She-Wolf, Clap for the Wolf Man of Wolf and Man, Wolf Call, Cry Wolf, Don't Cry Wolf, Wolf Creek Pass, A Wolf at the Door, Brother Wolf, Sister Moon, Wolf's a Howling, uh, Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf, A Wolf's Tail, Wolf Child Blues, Wolf in the Breast, and A She-Wolf After the War, Boy Cried Wolf, Knife of the Wolf, Soft Wolf, She-Wolf, Lone Wolf, Wolf, Run with the Wolf, and The Boy Who Cried Wolf by, of course, Style Council. You know an awful lot about songs concerning wolves. That I do. Not much about Naomi's. I? I feel very inadequate. I think I need to lie down. Mm, strut on a line. It's discord and rhyme. I howl and I whine. I'm after you. Mouth is alive or running inside and I'm hungry. Like the wolf. Naomi wolf. da 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 that was nature by formula yeah slash they are the awfully slash. awfully similar awfully similar the podcast's guide to the conspiracy featuring josh addison and m dentoff Hello and welcome to the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. Here in Auckland, New Zealand, I am Josh Edison, and in Zhuhai, China, we have Associate Professor of Philosophy who floats like a butterfly and stings like regret. It's Dr. Yep. M. Rx Dentith. I do sting like regret. I stung your mother once, you know. Mm. We're not supposed to talk about that, but yes. So we, we, we've been recording for about 15 minutes and the connection's already died once. So I think maybe we need to need to need to shuffle on through this as fast as we can before technology kicks us in the unmentionables once again. Oh, but Josh, there's so much to talk about in the same although in the same respect there's also so little to talk about in that mm. no one seems to have made a career by saying so little so voluminously as Naomi Wolf has. Now that mm. might seem unfair because people will know her work from the beauty myth and go, but 
that was a, a groundbreaking book. Now, as we're going to discuss, there are certain people who think that actually that book was really only accidentally right. And certainly mm. her career post the beauty myth somewhat fits into the idea that she might have just accidentally got something right in the past. But her mechanism for getting there is definitely askew, if not skewer. Mm. So yes, we're talking about Naomi Wolf today and not for the first time. Oh, because we're going back to the conspiracy. Buckle up. We're going back to the conspiracy. Yes, we are. We first talked about Naomi Wolf way, way back in the salad days of January 2015, episode 33. We've done literally more than 10 times that many episodes now. 2015 really does seem like several, several aeons ago. I mean... Life was so different back in 2015. It, it was a fair bit different, yes, yes. And Naomi Wolf uh, was a bit different, I guess. Actually, she so has, why, has... why, why were we talking about Naomi Wolf back in 2015? What was the motivating factor? Um, was it just that I, she'd I, said a whole bunch of weird things? I think we, she'd said some we should, weird stuff. I yeah. think you'd read that one article about her, yeah. And so we, and so we did. And a jolly fun episode it was, as I recall. So we're going to talk. We we could we could spend all of this episode recapping what we talked about last episode, but there's possibly not a great need for that because since that last episode, she's probably said enough for us to occupy ourselves with for a full episode anyway. But shall we? Shall shall we start at the beginning? Indeed, let's go back to 1990 and the publication of. The Beauty Myth. Josh, what is the premise of The Beauty Myth? Um, basically, it was the idea that beauty standards are, and the way that they have developed and become more and more prominent are a way of uh, keeping women down, essentially. The idea is that um, the, the social power and prominence of women has increased uh, markedly over the, the 20th and into the 21st century, but as that uh, as, as that progress happened, there was greater and greater pressure for women to adhere to these unrealistic standards of physical beauty uh, because of commercial influences on the mass media. And uh, th- it goes through how this leads to all sorts of unhealthy behaviours um, in women, uh, preoccupation of appearance in both sexes. Um, there's the whole. There's all sorts of things. There's the the, the effects on uh, confidence and sense of self. There's the effects on uh, financial well-being. I, I I can't remember if it was Naomi Wolf or someone else who came up with a professional beauty quotient. But the idea that women uh, are expected to wear makeup, which is an expense that men just don't have. Women's clothing tends to be more expensive than men's clothing, and so on and so forth. So the idea is that this, as as women um, have found more and more uh, power, I guess, in society. At, at the same time as that's been happening, there's been this, what appears to be, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm going I'm to jump ahead, ahead and say what seems like a deliberate, but we'll talk about that, uh, reaction to it where women's... See, I, see I, I thought you were about to use the C word there. Seems like a... Conspiracy? Well, exactly. Yes, yes. Whether or not it's deliberate, then affects whether or not it's actually a conspiracy. But it's sort of the idea that the patriarchy invents a new way to keep women down as they gain power in other arenas. And it's certainly, yeah, it's certainly a conspiratorial-sounding book. 
Now, did did Wolf actually describe it as a conspiracy in the text? Because, I mean, many people think of the beauty myth as describing a conspiracy by the patriarchy to keep women down. But she doesn't quite go that far in the beauty myth, does she? No. Well, if we're talking about the patriarchy as a system of, of structural um, oppression, institutional oppression, and... Um, and as, as I believe Wolf points out, the patriarchy affects men as well as women. I think it's the idea is that you have a hierarchy where man is superior to woman, older man is superior to younger man. And and if, if this is systemic and institutional, then that doesn't require um, a, a, a deliberate sort of conscious effort on the part of individual conspirators so, I mean, you, you can basically run the same kind of analysis for structural racism or systemic mm, racism. Yes. The idea that it might well be the case that no one given individual in a society is explicitly racist towards people of a different colour, but it turns out that society is still structurally racist given the way that it's been set up and the effects of that setup continue to permeate, even if no one actually expresses explicit racism towards people who don't look like them. Yes, so Naomi Wolf isn't claiming that there's some smoky back room where old guys puffing on cigars said, oh, those those women are getting a bit too much power for my liking. How are we going to keep them oppressed? I know, let's come up with these unrealistic standards of beauty and make sure they're in all our media. That, 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 that as far as we know, never happened. But... Um, you can describe the effects um, as as sort of as as pernicious. You can you can put a sort of a, a I guess intentional sort of so almost moral um, way of describing it, um, but that still doesn't mean that you're actually talking about the deliberate actions of individuals, which is kind of required for a conspiracy or is it well i mean that is a, that is a good question because of course one of the recurrent issues about talking about structural injustices of this kind is that it might well have been explicit at some earlier point in the process and then because the conspiracy has been successful we continue to see the effect so maybe there isn't a cohort of grey-suited men in Hollywood backrooms puffing on cigars going, you know, we've really got to keep them dames down because I'm coming from the 1930s and I like to clip my vowels. But it might be the case that there were people in the 1930s who really did think that, set up the conspiracy, died, and yet we're still seeing the effects of that conspiracy in the modern age. And I mean, there are people who talk about this with respect to organized religion, that there were points in time in Western Christian history where men did go, hmm, women have too much power in society. We need to find some way to kind of crush their dreams and reduce them down to ash. So we're going to make the claim that, oh, we've discovered a, uh, a hidden gospel message that says that Jesus said that women could never be elevated to a kind of deconated. Oh, well, um, that just means that women can't become priests anymore. Sorry, but, you know, we, we found this thing. And that's continued, despite the fact that those men are a thousand years dead, but we're still getting the consequences of that act of conspiracy about a thousand years ago. 
Mm. And a thing we've talked about plenty of times in the past is um, <clears throat> that you can have a conspiracy where most of the people aren't in on the conspiracy. Um, the idea that that you can have a small group who who are initiating it, possibly directing it, and a whole bunch of people underneath them who just do as they're told, who just do their jobs, um, unaware that what they're doing is actually working towards this this mysterious end. I mean, this was the complaint we had with the the, the good old um, uh, Grimes paper, where he uh, the, the 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 one where he calculated exactly how long you can expect conspiracies to last. And one of the big problems with it was that it kind of assumes a homogenous sort of an organization. Um, yeah, he assumes that everybody it. in the mm. NSA was in equally on in on the yeah. mass surveillance program, when really it probably was only a very small section of people. And sure, there would have been secretaries and other workers who kind of enabled the conspiracy by passing information along, approving requests, but they were more patsies than people actually in on some grand plot. Mm. Or you could imagine the... Um invasion of Iraq, the, the the pretext of finding weapons of mass destruction, which most people seem to be pretty sure weren't actually there. You can imagine that there, there was a small group of knowing conspirators, your Blairs and your Bushes and your Cheneys, um, but there was a much larger group of people at MI5 and people in the CIA who were furthering that agenda, but as far as they knew, were just doing their jobs. They were following orders. Mm, and there's nothing wrong with that. We've just had a discussion that seems to make the beauty myth out to seem to be a, you know, a fairly plausible hypothesis. So why are we talking about 1990s The Beauty Myth? 1990s The Beauty Myth is what shot Naomi Wolf to fame. I think that's what got her a lot of attention and was, was quite well received. Some people took issue with some bits of it, but I think by and large it formed, it was quite a sort of foundational text in, in second wave feminism, really, as far as I'm aware. But since then, Naomi Wolf, she, she's gone on to say quite a lot of things to the it's extent lips. that, well, as, as you said at the start, some people have suggested that may, rather than being a feminist who sort of got sucked into conspiracy theories, maybe she was a conspiracy theorist all along who just happened to start off with a, 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 a genuine feminist conspiracy. Yes, it's what I call the Ian Wishart effect. So Ian mm. Wishart, we've talked about this in the podcast before, but oh, yes. new listeners may not be aware. Ian Wishart is an investigative reporter back home in Aotearoa, New Zealand. He shot to fame for the Wine Box Inquiry, which was a look into tax rotting by the ultra-rich in Aotearoa, New Zealand, basically rotting money through the Cook Islands. I'm suddenly aware that no one outside of Australasia knows what rotting is anyway. Basically mm. tax evasion by funneling money through a foreign jurisdiction to pay less tax. Ian Wishart pursued this investigation for years, despite the fact that people in the media and the government told him there was nothing to it. It turned out there really was a lot to it. They actually proved major financial fraud going on by the ultra-rich back home. And now Ian Wishart is convinced that everything he investigates, he's got a kind of gut instinct. So he knows Helen Clark is a lesbian. He knows that intelligent design is in fact true and evolution by natural selection is being foisted upon us by devil worshippers. He's gone, well, look, I was right about one thing. Ipso facto, I must be right about everything that I feel is true in my heart. And this might be what's happened to Naomi Wolf. Because if we 
we shuffle forward by two decades, we get into 2011. Josh, what was going on worldwide in 2011? There was that whole Occupy movement. Every Everybody was occupying. Well, it started Occupy Wall Street and then sort of similar uh, movements and solidarity popped up around the world. There was an Occupy. I can't remember where people occupied here in New Zealand. Christchurch. O- mm-hmm. o- occupy Christchurch. So Byron <clears throat> Clark has written the oral history. Of that. So he's spoken with all the people who were there on the day and written a book about the Occupy mm. Christchurch. I'm pretty sure so, there was one up here in Auckland as well. but Yeah, I actually I don't know as much about the one up in Auckland mm. as I do as the one down in Christchurch. The one in Christchurch actually appears to have been the kind of the big mover and shaker mm. one. Yeah. Uh, but at any rate, so <clears throat> there was a lot of a lot of cracking down on the Occupy Wall Street protests. Um, I remember at the time being somewhat disturbed at the level of sort of police statiness that seemed to be going on with the way the ter- the the, the um, I just about said terrorists protesters were rounded up and, and arrested. You'll be voting national in just a few weeks' time. Uh just you wait. I bet you. I bet you cast your vote for Wayne Brown in the in the council election. You couldn't wait to vote for the white man. I'll never tell. But no. So Naomi Wolf wrote in twenty eleven about. The, the 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 idea that the US authorities' reaction to these these Occupy protests was coordinated by the Domestic Security Alliance Council. Um, she said that the police and uh, DHS, well, the Department of Homeland Services, Security, Homeland Security, yep. whatever, uh, was working for and with banks. Banks, obviously, the being the target of a lot of these protests, to target, arrest, and politically disable peaceful American citizens. And again, it it, it does kind of appear that she was on the money there. Um, Investigations later, there was an article in The Guardian from 2012 um, that did appear to show authorities coordinating with one another to crack down on these protesters uh, in a manner that is both conspiratorial uh, and, and also... Bad, for a want of a better word of it, it was it was particularly um, the word fascist is a little has become a little bit in vogue lately. But uh, certainly, certainly not the sort of things that governments in a free democracy should have been getting up to. All right. So once again, why are we talking about Naomi Wolf? I mean, she seems to be two for two here. Uh, yeah, but there's more. Um, Twenty thirteen, uh, when Edward Snowden. Who we've got a news update about coming up in the bonus episode. We do. Uh, he was. He was. He'd, he'd. He'd done his thing. He'd. He was. He was blowing up, as it were. And he was revealing she's... all to the world. And he sure were was shocked by what he revealed to the world. Actually, they Naomi... really were shocked. Mm. Naomi Wolf, though, uh, was a little bit, a little bit kind of suspicious of him. She had some theories of her own, didn't she? Well, I mean. Given she's two for two thus far, I mean, I'm assuming she had some pretty good grounds to be suspicious of Edward Snowden. So I'm thinking she's going to have something really salient to say here as to why we'd be suspicious about Edward. Uh, apparently she thought he was too well-spoken and um, his his girlfriend got too much media time. Hmm. That doesn't seem like compelling evidence for thinking that a whistleblower is actually working for the other side. Because I know there are quite a number of people who, at the time and to this day, 
thinks that Snowden was a plant by the American intelligence agencies to kind of launder the bad thing they had done in such a way to make it confusing. So release so much information that it would be hard for people to kind of work out exactly what bad things had occurred to kind of wash it out with the massive information he, he released. And admittedly, it's a lot harder to sustain these beliefs given the absconding to Russia, staying in Russia for a long time, and saying some really bad things about America in the interim. But there are people who, who do think that what he did was suspicious, but they're not saying it's because he's too well-spoken. No, no. So Dr. Wolf was uh, outspoken, I think, in her suspicions of Snowden, and not particularly uh, well-founded in her criticisms, This carried on into 2014 when she again raised eyebrows by suggesting that uh, the the, the videos that had been released by ISIS of them beheading um, hostages, uh, suggesting that they might have been faked. And then, now, once again, I'm assuming that she's got some really clever forensic evidence, maybe tracking the movement of hostages and journalists to show they can't be there, maybe showing evidence that actually these people didn't die and they've been seen in London cafes or New York restaurants dining well after their deaths, finding discrepancies in the way that people speak. I'm sure there's going to be some forensic detail that she's pinpointed that shows that these videos were indeed faked. Now, as far as I can tell, she was more in the, the just asking questions kind of thing, or, or at least when challenged on it later, she would go on to sort of say, oh, look, I'm not, okay, you find, I'm not, I'm not saying they're fake. I'm saying we don't know whether or not they're fake. Um, and and went on, I, I remember one, she, she said something to lie, along the lines of, you know, I, I haven't seen these things verified by two independent sources because that's what responsible journalism is about. We've only seen it from one place. So, I mean, we can't, we can't, I'm just saying, we can't, we can't, we can't be a hundred percent certain that they're authentic. And then I think other people said, no, actually they've been, they've been come from a whole bunch of different sources and so i'm just i'm just imagining a situation where you have to have two coroners to check whether someone has died guess "Mm, we can't just trust the word of one coroner they may have got it wrong so we're bringing in our second coroner to check the first coroners working here Mm. now that was 2014 and as you may recall we talked about her in 2015 that was the most recent thing we had to say at that point but um she 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 has continued to raise the eyebrows in the intervening period, has she not? She has. I mean, I'm assuming she did things between 2014 and the next issue we're going to talk about, which is 2019. But 2019 is kind of the most outrageous example, if you excuse the inadvertent reference to a book that she made. So in 2019, Naomi Wolf, who had received her doctorate back in, I think, 2015, released a book based upon her doctoral thesis called Outrages, Sex, Censorship, and the Criminalization of Love. And it looked at the repression of homosexuality, particularly during the Victorian era. Now, as part of the press junket for this book, she was interviewed by Matthew Sweet on BBC Radio, Sidebar here, Matthew Sweet is not just an historian, he's also a Doctor Who historian. So he does work on some of the special features for Doctor Who DVDs and Blu-rays. So he's not just a historian, he's one of the best historians you could possibly refer to. 
And in this interview he did with Wolf on BBC Radio, he points out that Wolf makes a claim which is clearly wrong. So Wolf talks about how in the Victorian era, a bunch of Victorian men were, uh, were sentenced to death and executed for sodomy. And Sweet goes, no, they weren't. And Wolf's going, look, no, look, here's, here's the records. Here it says, death recorded. And Sweet goes, no, you don't realize that's actually a legal term. When someone puts down death recorded, that's because during the Victorian era, yes, sodomy was a capital offense, but they had stopped executing people for sodomy by that point. So in order to fulfill the law, it would be recorded the person was dead, but then they'd walk free of court. So death recorded was a mechanism which allowed them to technically follow the law, but no executions followed. And Wolf went, no, I, I kind of need to look into that, and then went away and realized that actually Sweet was right and she was wrong. She had been making grandiose claims about the execution of gay men during the Victorian era, which simply weren't true. Mm. Which echoes, I think, there were a few sort of factual um, questions raised around uh, right back in the beauty myth. I think one in particular, she made the claim that uh, 100, 140,000, I think was the number, um, women die of anorexia in the US every year. And people said, no, it's it's more like one to 400, uh, which is, is quite a different number from the one you said. So it's possible she does... Um, she does like to sort of over-egg things at times. Now, in that particular case, uh, the book was reissued. Uh, well, sorry, when the book was reissued in paperback, um, the references to execution were removed, but it still, that, that, that wasn't the only thing wrong with it? No, as Sweet also pointed out, as so to go back to your claim that you know, she kind of overstated the number of people dying of anorexia in the United States... One other thing she does, you know, look, lots and lots of gay men who are simply engaged in consensual relationship with other gay men were being imprisoned or criminalized for their sodomy. And Sweet goes, I mean, that's, that's partially true, but a lot of the examples she's using are of pedophiles or people engaging in bestiality, which were both acts of sodomy under the Victorian Code of Law. And we don't really want to associate consensual sexual lifestyles between gay men and other gay men, between pedophiles and children, or men who are going around having sex with animals. But she treats them all the same. She's going, look, this is the number of men who are being repressed. And Sweet is going, actually, a lot of these men were being convicted of pedophilia. And that's something which, you know, isn't the kind of thing we want to smile upon. It's actually quite, you know, we might think that the repression of gay men is bad. We might also think the repression of pe pedophiles is something which is actually a-okay. Mm. Yes, I mean, I, I, overall, like I assume that I, I haven't read the book, but I'm if, if the theme of it is that homosexuality was repressed in the Victorian era, I mean, she's not wrong, but when she makes points like these that have sort of just, just a, a basic errors in fact, 
um, it does sort of weaken her case. And that then leads to the questions about her PhD, because when Outrages was released, people were going, if this is based upon a doctoral dissertation, and this was in the doctoral dissertation, we might have to ask for it to be re-examined, because obviously if there are large historical mistakes like that, and it's a thesis in history, something has gone wrong. Now, she did her PhD through Oxford. She put an embargo on her PhD, as you're allowed to do when you submit a PhD, and usually embargoes are used to ensure that you can convert the PhD into a book, and people basically don't steal your idea from you, because technically PhDs are meant to be publicly available. So you can imagine that you spend three or to four years writing a PhD. You say to take a six-month break between the writing of the PhD and putting forward a book proposal, and it turns out someone has gone, oh, this PhD looks exciting. I'm going to base my book proposal on that. And given that you know, PhDs are publicly available data, you can base your PhD on someone else's work as long as you then write your own words. But it turns out that Wolf had actually managed to keep her PhD under wraps for five years, which is actually one year longer than is technically allowed through Oxford. You can usually ask for a one-year extension to the suppression of your PhD, but not more than one. And when it was released, it was released with 12 pages of addenda and corrections that Wood had put in several years after the fact. So people are going, something very skew-if happened during the writing of her PhD. And then it seems her PhD was riddled with errors and somehow, somehow it got through the system. Mm. But nothing more. So it's just questions have been raised at this point. Nothing more came of it from then? Not that I'm aware of. I believe Mm. Oxford, and when I say Oxford, one of the colleges, I can't remember which college she did her PhD through did an investigation and they say things are fine, but there is also a a curious tendency by some of these colleges to try and make problems disappear through what might sometimes be called a cover-up. But that wasn't wasn't what got her into, I guess you could call it, real trouble. Uh, If you call getting banned from Twitter real trouble, I suppose. Certainly, some of the people who've been banned from Twitter think it is, because in twenty twenty one, for example, he's been mm, banned from Twitter, and he's not a happy camper. No, neither is that fellow. Uh, starts with a T, rhymes with bump. Can't remember something like that. Anyway, seem to seem to think that getting banned from Twitter was quite a quite a pickle. Uh, now, why did she get banned from Twitter? Well, one one of the only things you can do, I think, that will actually get you banned from Twitter. Uh, spreading COVID and, and anti-vax misinformation because by 2021 she was sort of into into full-on COVID nineteen denial and um, and uh, had a we, we we have we have a selection of archived tweets that we could share with you now. Uh, do you want to go through the lot of them one at a time? Take it in turns. Yeah, let's start with something which actually is quite quite moderate compared to what we're going to get to. So this is from the 1st of March, 2021. This guy does not quit. Bill Gates wants to release genetically modified mosquitoes to inject you with vaccines. There was actually a release of GMO mosquitoes via Gates in New York State. These things always sound like sci, but GMO mosquitoes have been around. Now, I'm assuming she meant sci-fi, 
because these things yeah, always sound like sci. Correct. It's, yeah. In this case, yeah, yeah actually, science does sound like sci. You're quite right. Now, what was there were mosquitoes? Wasn't that the Zika virus? It was. Yes, thing they did. Yes, genetically yeah, modified mosquitoes, basically to stop breeding populations. Mm. But nothing to do with spreading vaccines via their stings or anything like that. I mean, it would it would be a great mechanism, apart from the fact that humans have a natural want to hunt and kill mosquitoes. Yes, mm. yes, look, we could just let them bite you. It's going to cure you of the disease. Nope, nope. I'm going to hunt that thing. I'm going to stay up all night trying to locate that bastard. I'm going to hunt that thing down. Mm. Now, earlier that same day... March the 1st, 2021, she'd said, I linked to an article called uh, MRNA Platform Enabling Drug Discovery and Development. I'm not sure what the exact paper is about, but she quotes from it saying, recognizing the broad potential of mRNA science, we set out to create an mRNA technology platform that functions very much like an operating system on a computer. It is designed so that it can plug and play interchangeably with different programs. So I think this, because this, this is something she's talked about in the past, this, this is a quote from that paper which uses the analogy of a computer's operating system when describing mRNA science. But I think she takes that a bit more literally later on. Yes, there's actually a bunch of tweets around this, so I'm going to skip forward slightly to try and get some more of the context here. In that on the... Actually, so going... These tweets are not in order. I've, I've pasted them into the document outside of their chronology because on the 26th of February, which I believe is before March, I think. I think Traditionally it is, yes, yes. See the Moderna website. The vaccine, actually a software platform, is designed for regular updates. A novel SARS COVID-2 variant of concern, B1526, identified in New York. And this is where we get our nano particles. Terrifying also confirms that explains the conversation I overheard in a restaurant in Manhattan two years ago in which an Apple employee was boasting about attending a top secret demo. They had a new tech to deliver vaccines with nanoparticles that let you travel back in time. Not kidding. Yes, so I think the only... The only place there where there's room to give her the benefit of the doubt is that nanopaticles is just a good old-fashioned typo. But particles or particles, I'm not aware of any vaccines that um, contain ones that let you travel back in time. And yet she says she's not kidding. I mean, and I'm, I'm rocking a fairly modern Apple laptop, and I've been, I've, I've been trying to dial it back to the golden age of disco. And it's just not working. It's just not working at all. Why is 1976 so far out of reach? I don't know. Maybe, 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 maybe there's just something about it that there's no real point revisiting it. 1976 uh, gave us gave us some of the greatest thing. Gave us Bohemian Rhapsody, not quite Star Wars, uh, but essentially me. And really, that's. I don't see that there's any need to to revisit that. Why, you know, the work's been done. What more is there to say? You know who else was done in 1976? Well, I mean, technically it would have been 1975, given that nine months is the standard gestation time. But yes, I see where you're going with that. <laughs> Uh, anyway, back to Naomi Wolf. Well, yes, and so one more tweet before I'll get mm. you to read up another one because this once mm. again goes to the software platform thing. This is the 27th of February once again, but it's a few hours after her last tweet from that day. You know, 
I read the Moderna website and the sources in my video about how the mRNA is not actually a vaccine, but a software platform. I actually work with developers who create software, so I understand how dangerous it is to have a tech in one's body that can receive uploads. Now, this appears to be treating an analogy far too seriously. Because, mm. yes, people have talked about the idea that unlike a traditional vaccine, mRNA vaccines work in a different way. And thus we can kind of, you know, they are more modular and they're much, it's much easier to update the vaccines during their production and lifetime. So they are a lot more like software or they're much more digital than the analog vaccines of old, the viral load vaccines. They're not actually a software platform. It's not as if it's we're injecting code into a human body that makes humans a giant receiver for software updates via Wi-Fi. It is an analogy. And yet Wolf really doubled down on, no, no, it's software package. You know, I know programmers, so ipso facto, I know what I'm talking about, which makes me think she doesn't really know programmers or the programmers she know just aren't very good at explaining their jobs. Mm. So, yes, there's there's the explicitly anti-vax stuff. There's also just a lot of general um, anti-COVID response stuff. Oh, I suppose before that, she also does do the usual at one point uh, tweeted, this is why there will always be, quote-unquote, variants. It's in the business model of the Moderna vaccine structures. That's uh, something we've seen plenty of times before. So they keep coming up with these new variants of COVID. How convenient. Then they get to keep selling us their new vaccines. Well, I mean, it worked for the flu. Mm. But so so then you you get basically just sort of anti-anti- Anti anti COVID measures, anti lockdown type stuff. She says, um, hearing from friends in Germany that they are not allowed to go out into the countryside, hearing that there were vast marches for freedom in Denmark, Ireland, a world at war for basic liberty, and uh, that was this is a lot of these on. She really went on a on a bender on March the first. So many of these are all all different times. March the first, also on March the first, she um, links to an article called "Lockdowns Do Not Control the Coronavirus: The Evidence," saying, "Don't ever forget this. The whole ritualistic, cultish, child abusing, business killing drama is based on a narrative that has no coherent evidence to support it." As a person who lived in Auckland during the first COVID lockdown, uh, yes, yes, there is evidence that supports it. Um, Or at least lockdowns did control the coronavirus until they were allowed to mutate in the rest of the world and and Delta and Omicron came along and then maybe uh, it spread too fast for that. But nevertheless, right at the start of things when she was talking about this, I don't think the evidence was as in her favour as she thought it was. And then finally another one, um, again on the same theme, she would tweet things like, came home from dinner with friends and a community of people who are living life respectfully of others, but perfectly normally. Pizza and salad, laughter, hugs goodnight, a wonderful time, everyone's fine, thank goodness, still fine. Months and months and months later, still fine. Again, implying that everything's awesome and there's, 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 there's no real problem and you don't need lockdowns at all yes because there's no risk to covid infection because you know she's living a risky lifestyle and she hasn't got covid ipso facto it's not really a problem Mm. and what else more more of this operating system stuff um somebody posted a video i'm not sure i assume it was a video 
seems to be a video of hers, um, and thanks them for doing so, saying, okay, Team Humanity, here's my video explanation of the terrifying new vaccine technology that turns the human body into an operating, operating system. Reporting of fact, fact sourced in NIH, Google, MIT, that nonetheless got me kicked off Twitter for 12 hours. The reason why she was kicked off Twitter for 12 hours is that people... A, pointed out that she was misreading the research studies, and B, reported her for spreading misinformation because she was misreporting the research studies. Mm. I mean, so it may be true she read the studies, but that doesn't mean she accurately portrayed those studies in her own work. Mm. She did more more anti-vaccine. How can you describe people as not yet immunized if they don't get the vaccine? They are immunized. They have an immune system. It's very tendentious, inaccurate language. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's really, really kind of the anti-vaxxer greatest hits um, as you go through it all. I mean, my, my, fa- my favorite, seems like a weird thing to have a favorite Naomi Wolf tweet, but named, um, is the last one in our list. Terrifying. Children now don't have the human reflex that they... Sorry, I'll try it again. No, you, you, were, you, you actually got that right. I think it's, oh. it's written incorrectly. Anyway. I have to work out how to edit around that, mm. that clap now. Terrifying. Children now don't have the human reflex that they, when you smile at them, they smile back. I'm seeing kids with their lower faces hanging inertly, absolutely unmoving facial muscles when they take their masks off. Dark circles under their eyes from low oxygen. Lassitude. How you can't end a sentence with lassitude. I mean, you can. She did. I mean, and, and she has, but it, it makes no sense. Lassitude. No, lassitude, lassitude on its own. Just lassitude. We, I mean, maybe we should make that our sign off from now on mm. in. Lassitude, Joss. Lassitude. lassitude. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So she, a fair bit of that, and. Um, and she was gone for good. So I yes, don't eventually know. Twitter went, yeah, you're actually, because she had a huge audience, Twitter eventually went, I mean, normally we have a, we allow celebrities to get away with figurative murder on our platform. But really the amount of reports we're getting about the misinformation you're spreading, or even what appears to be disinformation you're spreading, is sufficient that she was eventually booted from the platform. Now I believe she has something akin to a substack when I was actually looking up what she was doing what she's doing now. I did discover possibly possibly the greatest thing of all time. I found a website talking about a website which is advertising the ability that you can get Naomi Wolf to contribute to your newsletter or your podcast. But the headline they they decided to go for is this: the worst thing that can happen to the human species is happening. Doctor Naomi Wolf is available for interview. That's true. The worst thing that could happen has happened. Naomi Wolf is on the phone. Yes. So I mean, I assuming that's that that's a headline and a subhead that have been concatenated into one for, as it turns out, humorous effect. But yeah, a little bit of a little bit of a little bit of a, a shame there. Good copy editor yeah. would have sorted that out, but maybe they chose not to. I mean, copy editors are just part of the conspiracy, Josh. They're just well, part of the conspiracy. Yes, yes, that's probably true. 
And so that's 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 the tale of Naomi Wolf, updated for modern sensibilities. And I mean, the reason why we told that story initially and why we're retelling it now is that, sure, if you look at her early work, like the beauty myth, she appears to be kind of on the money about things. But in the context of her broader work, it really does seem like she is someone who sees malign conspiracy or conspiracy-like features in the world and then opines upon them, whether it be what's really going on with the COVID-19 pandemic, repression of homosexuality in the Victorian, Victorian era, whether or not Edward Snowden is authentic. We actually we also missed out an entire story about her support of Julian Assange. And so in retrospect, you can kind of see why some people have looked back on the beauty myth and gone, she may have only been accidentally right. She may have gone in with the presupposition of there being this malign structure behind things. And it turns out she told a really good story that still gets used to this day. Although I think think in most feminist discussions of beauty now, Naomi Wolf is more of a side point than a kind of main narrative. But it seems that she may have really kind of lucked into a good thesis at the beginning. But that luck has taken her an awful long way, even if she has kind of diverted from the path of truth. Mm. So maybe in another, what, seven years, we'll come back and, and, and who knows what she might be responsible for by then. I'm assuming she'll bit. be a Fox contributor by that point. Well, you'd assume, yes. But that's a tale for another time. And we are today uh, at the end of the tale we intended to tell. So... Before we leave, uh, perhaps we should we should clue you in on what's going to be coming up in the bonus episode for patrons that we will record in just a moment. Well, we've got an update on Edward Snowden. We've got an update on those anal beds. And we've got a fairly dire story about the New Zealand police being involved in what appears to be dodgy, qua illegal activity. Mm. So if you'd like to hear about that sort of stuff... Uh, sign yourself up as a patron. It's as simple as going to betrayon.com and searching for the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy. And if you're already a patron, well, buckle up, because we're going to be shoving those those Snowden chess anal bead police facts just just straight into your face. You won't you won't even know what's going on. But until then, I think we should probably just uh, just sign off. Um, so I think the only responsible thing to say is lassitude. Lassitude. You've been listening to a podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, hosted by Josh Addison and M. Dentith. If you'd like to help support us, please find details of our pledge drive at either Patreon or Podbean. If you'd like to get in contact with us, email us at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com. Marty, we gotta go back to the conspiracy.